ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. We find the defendant guilty. I was out there that day. I was, I was trying another case, and I got a call from William, you have to see this to come out here. And I came out there, and, and Amora laying in that doorway was really the image of the case because in my mind, what you're filled with, and, and that's why the question's so difficult because the, the, the emotions change. What you're filled with is this desire to pick this baby up, which, of course, we can't do. We can't interfere with the crime scene. But the desire is to go run into to Amora and pick her up. Now, when you actually uh, see a picture of the horror that was inflicted on her, in my opinion, it, it repels a person. It's a, she's, she's just had her humanity robbed from her, taken from her. And so she's just, it, it's just so graphic, the violence that was inflicted upon her that, that you don't want to, but you just have to rail back for just a second. Whereas when you see her on that, in that dirty floor, in that doorway, you want to go run into her, you want to pick her up. Happy Monday. Good Monday, peoples. I mean, it's Wednesday for us, but yeah, it's it'll, be, it'll be Monday for you. Yeah, it'll be Monday for you. Wednesday yeah. for us. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> caramel, caramel. Caramel, caramel. <laughs> Did you just say camel? I don't know. Maybe, probably. <laughs> well, this week, of course, just like the last few, it's going to be a hard one. Just a fair warning. This case is going to be rough on the ears. It involves child abuse, a lot of, I guess, mental health issues, postpartum depression. It's a doozy. So just a fair warning. If you guys are going through a rough patch right now and this is something that you don't want to listen to, it's okay. You can skip ahead to next week. Yep. Like most of the cases, you don't have to listen. Exactly. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. We respect it. So I, again, just, I don't want to make light of this case at all. So I'm just going to start right now and just dive right in. Yeah, let's do it right to it. So I'm going to begin in late 2007, where a guy named Blaine Millam is just 18 years old. He was recently released from jail and had to register as a sex offender. But here's the catch. He never registered and was released early from jail. At the time of this tragic tale, he was supposed to be registered and still on probation, quite possibly still in jail, and never even able to meet our victim, Amora Bain Carson. So just a little bit of background on Blaine. He grew up in Texas in and out of trailer homes. He was very poor, didn't have a great upbringing. He was an adult, but according to some reports, it looked like he stopped maturing at the age of 12. Like his intellectual ability just wasn't there. That's interesting. Now, some people think that this is because he moved out of public school around the fourth grade to be homeschooled. And even though homeschooling isn't always bad, just some people use it as an excuse to just be lazy and not, you know, if they don't have time to drop their kids off at school or they're, you know, an addict or they, you know, have other priorities. They don't really want their child to go to public school. So they pull them out and say that they're being homeschooled, which in this case was plain. So basically... It's too much of a burden for that parent to take exactly. them to a public school. So that's why they mm -hmm. they make the selfish-ish decision to keep them at home. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And to the state, 
he was being homeschooled. Now, he did grow up with drugs in the home, and he did become addicted around this time as well. He did meth and even a- attempted to complete suicide multiple times growing up. Now, his reason behind attempting was due to his father passing away at a young age, and he took this to heart. How old was he? He was 18 years old. Okay. Got it. 18 already really going hard. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He was addicted to meth, so his whole reality, even at his 12-year-old capacity, was already already rough, you know? Yeah, if you have a, a learning disability or, like, any type of disability that holds you back from your actual age, throwing meth into that is probably going to be really bad. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Blaine went to jail for breaking into a home near him. He went into a 13-year-old girl's bedroom. While he was inside the home, he found the bedroom and went through her belongings. And according to the Rusk County District Attorney, which is the area that he was living in, he went through her underwear drawer, took an adult magazine pictures, like nudes of girls, like Playboy, um, you know, penthouse, something along these lines. Well, he cut all of those photos out and wrote obscene notes on the pictures telling this 13-year-old girl that he would like to perform actions on her, just like these photos. And in those notes, they were also very detailed and descriptive. So at that time, Blaine was charged with criminal solicitation of a minor, but he never had any physical contact with this girl. Okay. He was sentenced to be in jail for 180 days which in time, as reference, should have been around February of 2008 when he was released. He was also supposed to register after his 180 days and then begin probation. Okay. He was, in fact, allowed a work release from jail during his 180 days. What this means is that you're allowed to check out of jail to go to work, and then you're supposed to come back and pretty much stay the night in jail like that is your home but you're set a certain amount of hours to be away from your jail cell as long as you are going to and from work just like jeffrey epstein that's exactly what they did for him yeah. they let him leave and work quote unquote mm-hmm. then he got to come back so i guess that would be a good example yeah. of that. your work your work release yeah so most of the time your boss has to have a form that pretty much gives you the times that you have to go to jail just to see how long it took you to go from the jail to your work and vice versa and how many hours you work to compare whether or not you've made any stops in between then. He didn't have this. And not to mention, he only served 48 days. On his 48th day, he walked out of jail for work and just decided not to return. That's, a, that's legal? That's not legal. It's not legal. <laughs> like, that's no. escaping jail. Pretty much. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. This was somewhere in January of 2008. Now, Blaine, at this time, moved to a new county afterwards. He obtained a new identity in a sense that no one knew who he was or what he did. Not necessarily he changed his name or face, just decided... He consciously knew if I moved away from my home, nobody's going to know that I'm supposed to be in jail. Well, yeah. No one knows who you are. Now, when he moved to this new county, he kind of acted as if he did nothing wrong and just moved on with his life. 
as if he was starting over pretty much, you know? That's so ballsy. Just to never go back to jail. Yeah, and he just was like, leave. peace out. I deem myself worthy of, of a life and don't need jail anymore. I'm performed. Shortly after his self-release in January of 2008, he met this gal named Jessica Carson. Now, she was still in high school at the time. She was a high school senior. She was 18 as well. And once she met him, she fell absolutely head over heels this guy. Now, she was not a regular teenager, though. She was a mom to a baby girl named Amora. Now, most of the people, I mean, most people in general, they know Amora means love. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so this beautiful baby girl was born on November 12th, 2007. So roughly two months before she met Blaine. Holy crap. Because Jessica was 18 and had a child, she thought that Amora was going to get in the way of Blaine liking her. Mm. She thought that since she had a child, no one would want to date her, that nobody wanted to date, you know, a single teenage mom. However, this proved to be wrong when Blaine stated he did not care and would love them both equally. I don't like it. Now, they do begin to date on January 2008. And everything seemed to be fine. In fact, everything was great. The night of Jessica's prom, so this is May 2008, only a few months into knowing each other, he decided to propose. Oh my God, no. Now he specifically stated that both Jessica and Amora were to be able to like marry him, but in a cute way, not like a, I want to marry you and your daughter. It was like, I, if I marry you, your daughter's my daughter. Yes. Like, I didn't like family. that. I, did, I don't like it, but I get it. Yeah. So he, he wanted Amora to be included on this marriage proposal. Yeah. And mentioned her while he was doing it. And of course, Jessica said yes. And shortly after, they all three moved in together. All right. Here we go. Now, Amora was described to be this cute little baby with chubby cheeks. Aww. She had beautiful, bright blue eyes, and they just lit up the entire world. She was learning how to smile. She hardly cried. She couldn't walk, but she knew how to crawl. She couldn't really talk, but she was learning her voice, so that way she was kind of making noises, but she she didn't say words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her first word, and this is kind of cringy, her first word was daddy. Oh. Talking about Blaine. Mm, okay. He could not have been prouder of this moment. She was a great little girl. She was beautiful. She she was beautiful and wouldn't walk and yet, but she she was beautiful. Oh, uh, her first words were daddy. But, uh, she uh, And you were not even the biological father, but oh, you were daddy for her. Yes. That was the first thing she ever said. Yes, sir. Can you still see her face when she said that? Yes, sir. Now, at 13 months old, this is around the time that things begin to kind of change, and it's unclear how or why, but Amora would definitely pay the price. December 2nd, 2008, Blaine and Jessica were seen on security footage at a local pawn shop. 
They remained normal, asked about pawning off a chainsaw and a few of Blaine's tools, but in this video, they are just calm, cool, collected, acting like normal teenagers, except after they were asking about what they would get for these tools, they looked around the pawn shop as if they were shopping. Hmm. You'll know why this is a very important part of the story later on, but just remember their their demeanor, calm, cool, collected. Okay. Amora was not with them. Okay. Now, after leaving the pawn shop, they would go to a gas station. Jessica would buy a soda and some cigarettes, and Blaine was filling up the gas tank. At 10.37, this is when a 911 call came from Blaine's house, and I'm going to play that here. 911. Now the 911 dispatch asked for Jessica since she is Amora's mom. Jessica gets on the phone and the dispatcher is asking her to perform CPR. Jessica is refusing. Okay. She's taking her time getting over to Amora, which you can hear in this next clip, and is blaming Blaine for not doing it for her. <laughs> Ma'am, we're going to try CPR anyway, okay? Get her to the phone now. Blaine, get her. Blaine, get her. Hurry. Are you there? When the first responders arrived, Amora was not breathing. The house during this time was also disgusting. There was open and expired food, dishes everywhere, trash, bugs. It was definitely not a home for a child at all. Yeah. It was like if CPS was there, they'd be Mm -hmm. like, get this baby out of here. Exactly. Okay. This is also a trailer home. Okay. So there's just animals running throughout the whole entire house, ramaging through the pipes. There's holes in the wall. It's absolute, just a mess. Kevin Roy, who was actually the deputy from the sheriff's department, He's in dispatch at the time the call comes in, the 911 call. One of the first things he does is he ends up picking Amora's foot up, and it basically lifts Amora all the way up across her back. She's just stiff. She's just solid stiff at that time. That's at 10.37 a.m. This is at 9.05. Now, by 9.05, she was probably already stiff. Scientists are real careful about uh, when rigor sets in, uh, and the, the medical examiner told us, though, that it was hours, not minutes. We don't know whether that's four hours or whether that's considerably more than four hours. Amora's face had multiple wounds and bruising on it, making it very hard to see where all of the cuts started and where they stopped. Cuts? Cuts. Okay. There were many of these cuts, and as the responders were treating her, they also noticed a few other things, like human bite marks. Okay. If they thought the cuts were a lot, there were even more bite marks on this child than cuts. I, like, I don't even need to describe to people, like, how do you bite a child? Like, I just... Yeah. 
it's also kind of just odd in general. Like, why would you even want to attempt something like that? It just didn't, it didn't make sense to me. But according to detectives, Amora had more than 30 bite marks. She had bite marks on her nose, mouth, toes, hands, almost everywhere on her body. I think you get desensitized in what we do at times, whether it's being a correspondent who sees things in war to an attorney or a police officer who sees bodies. Uh, You find ways to deal with it. But what I'll never forget, uh, I'll never forget the bite marks uh, from the toe to the chin to over the mouth and nose. Uh, It was almost as if someone was trying to, I guess, suck out demons from the nose and mouth the way the the bite mark or the the mouth print was on the child. Uh, I've never seen anything like it in my life. An expert who took the stand later in this case stated that these bite marks were so deep that they perfectly preserved, and it was so easy to determine who these teeth belonged to. Blaine? We'll get there. It was almost as if you were going to the dentist and they were, like, fitting you with the molds. That's how deep these impressions were. Yep. I, yep. Now, both Jessica and Blaine were immediately separated and admitted for questioning. Yeah. As as they would, you know. They just, there's a dead baby in your home. Yeah. Your baby. Your baby. Exactly. Now, Blaine stated that he and Jessica left the baby just for a little while, which in my mind, I'm like, this baby is 13 months old. You guys are 18 years old. How do you not, how do you not know that you shouldn't leave a one-year-old child? It's an easy excuse for people to say, I wasn't there. I left the baby. Like, I hate that excuse because it's just never going to work. Not that I want an excuse to work, but that just shows how much of a fucking coward you are. Exactly. And it's also lack of empathy. Mm -hmm. Like you clearly don't care about this child regardless because you left them. Yeah. Yeah. Now Blaine stated that it was so short. All they did was just take a brief walk up the road to talk to a man about clearing some bushes or something in the yard for them because they lived in a trailer park per se. So there's like allotted areas where you can park. And in one of the areas that he had, there was just some bushes or trouble or whatever it was. And he just wanted it cleared out. Then he told the police that, in fact, it wasn't very quickly. It was about an hour when he realized, oh, shit, I have a baby in the house. Uh, Okay. An hour later. He also said that he didn't mean to stay for that long, but when they got back, they found Amora in this condition. With with the bite mark. So it, yeah. you left a perfectly good baby at home, and then... It- when you came back, it was beat to death with bite marks. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, a coward, yeah. again. <laughs> After this, he fully cooperated with, with the police, and when he was asked to search the house or even his car, he offered any assistance throughout the whole process. Now, Jessica told a very different story. 
even though it was somewhat similar to Blaine's, except she said that she went to another property where they wanted to move their trailer home and started to make plans for living arrangements. She was marking where the home was going to be on the land. She was also mentally visualizing how this new land would really work for the trailer, trying to see where her window would be, the whole nine yards. Okay. She also said that she just got so excited and lost track of time. And so about an hour and a half later is when she said they returned and found Amora like this. Now, the police know that their stories aren't matching up. One says an hour, the other says an hour and a half. One says they talked to this guy about landscaping, and the other says they looked at a brand new property. Mm -hmm. They knew something was up. Yes. Now, since their stories didn't match, they pulled Jessica away to be questioned by a Texas ranger. Mm -hmm. Now, just a quick reference for anybody that doesn't live in Texas or really know the difference between state troopers and Texas rangers. The Texas Rangers are at the top of the law enforcement list. They are, in fact, one of the oldest law enforcement groups in the country, and they're the original law enforcement group before Texas was even a state in the United States. Damn. So they're like the best of the best. Okay. They're like like detectives. Yeah, yeah. This time, when talking to this ranger, she told another story. completely different oh no you don't lie to a texas ranger now she stated that weird things were happening in fact jessica says that after blaine's father passed away they bought a ouija board attempting contact with his dad she also stated that her father passed away when she was 10 and missed him so much that she also wanted to talk to him as well they also stated that they enjoyed this so much that they would attempt contact and communicate with their dead loved ones almost every night in fact it was both of their dead fathers for the most part at the same time she also stated in quote So we did that, you know, like this, like a telephone to heaven. We thought it was really cool and everything. So we just, we kept talking to our dads, telling them how much we miss them. And, you know, we talked to them for eight hours straight that night. We started getting really freaked out. We got this little music box that's Chinese and our friends gave us. And these little people inside of it just started singing. And, you know, God will protect us. Demons leave this house. Are you sure they're not doing meth? Are you sure? (laughs) that's intense it's very intense i think the obsession kind of just overruled them and we'll definitely touch base on their mental state later on in this case okay for sure i'm down blaine at the time said that jessica thought her cat was possessed by a demon he also said that she thought her apartment was possessed by demons um and this was like her apartment before moving in with blaine and also, it led to Amora being possessed by demons. Oh. Now, Jessica said that the devil went inside of her, telling her that he was going to take Blaine's soul the very night of the accident. Okay. She also stated that if Amora didn't die right then and there, her soul would be Satan's for life And that the devil inside Blaine told her that God said it was too late for that. This is when Jessica stated they needed to get an exorcism for Amora to save her life of a 13-month-old baby. 
Jessica also claimed that she wanted to gather some money to get someone to do the exorcism. However, Blaine apparently stated that God said it was too late to save Amora and that there's nothing more that they can do. Now, remember, this is all being said while talking to the Texas Ranger. And of course, when Blaine was asked about this, just like normal, they turn on each other. Yeah, yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Now, Jessica is still saying that Blaine stated, if she doesn't go to heaven now, she will live her life with Satan having her, her soul, you know, end quote. So this is where the pawn shop video kind of comes to play. Okay. She goes on to say that her previous statements of going to mark the land for her new home placement was not true. And instead, her and Blaine were at the pawn shop selling the, like, shit to get money for the exorcism. Okay. Okay. She said that they left the baby at home so that way they can get the money. But baby Amora was definitely alive before they left. Okay. Her words. Definitely alive. Now, it was assumed that Jessica was suffering from postpartum depression. And symptoms are commonly, I guess, like mood swings, crying spells, anxiety, and difficulty sleeping. And sometimes postpartum typically begins within the first two to three days after delivery. Hmm. It could last up to two to four weeks. And some cases, new moms experience, I guess, a longer, more severe version. And this is postpartum psychosis. Mm, yes. So this could also develop shortly after childbirth. And signs and symptoms might include, you know, confusion, disorientation, obsessive thoughts about your baby, hallucinations, delusions, sleep disturbances, excessive energy, paranoia, and even attempts to really harm yourself or your child. Jessica definitely fit the psychosis part of postpartum. Yeah, she's having delusions and she's, I mean, I don't know yet, but harming her baby. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now remember, Jessica, when she met Blaine, Amora was only two months old. So Jessica was already thinking, hey, this guy's not going to like me because I have a child. She was already in that postpartum state. She was already guilty about, I I don't want to say guilty, but she was having some feelings about having a child in general or shame or something. Maybe regret even. Or regret, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Now, what people don't know for the most part is that fathers can also have postpartum depression. Now, fathers who are young or have a history of depression, even experience like relationship problems or struggling financially or just mentally in general, they're at most risk for postpartum depression. Now, Blaine isn't Amora's real father, but Amora was two months old when Blaine met her. This could have, I guess, you know, paternal postpartum depression. It'll have the same negative effect on partner relationships and even child development as postpartum depression in mothers can. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely both of them were having some kind of, I guess, postpartum symptoms, regardless if it was their child or not. Blaine's side of the story was, of course, different once he talked to this Texas Ranger. He would state that when they both came back, they found Amora in a hole in the floor. Wait, okay. 
I don't even have anything to say to that. Exactly. I don't understand that. One, like, why is there holes in your floor? Yeah. And why is the baby in it? And why didn't you tell us if that's actually what happened? Exactly. Come on, sit down. It'd be warmer in here. Hey, Bob. Come on in, have a seat. I want to make sure that um, you understand I'm a Texas Ranger, okay? Mm -hmm. And I've got a, a, a tape recorder playing right now, but... You're not under arrest. You understand that. I mean, you're sitting here in my car, and and I'm talking because the tape can't see us. It can only hear us, okay? But you don't have handcuffs on. I ask you to come over here and just sit down. We're just sitting and visiting. Is that right? Right. Now, what I want you to do, Blaine, is just in your own words, and I know this is hard, buddy, but I want you to just tell me me what happened this morning. Uh, I gave her a bottle. We were walking down to the property. We call it the property because that's where I'm having our new mobile home put. Okay. You gave the baby a bottle? Uh, Yes. Okay. It's in there on the bed. All right. Okay. Go ahead. And you and Jess walked down to the property? Yes, sir. Okay. So we just started marking off the stuff, and about an hour flies by. And between that hour and hour and a half... We walk down here, walk in the house. Okay. Go and ahead. Uh, she wasn't nowhere to be found. Uh, okay. Go ahead. I'm listening to you. All right. And then by that time, we're searching for her, and there's a hole in my mama's bathroom. Okay. All right. That's where she was. Now, he would also state that there was holes in the floor because their bathroom was being remodeled. But if you were to look at this home, there's no remodeling going on. In fact, it probably needed to be demolished. Yeah, It was like disgusting. It. Now, he later changed his story saying that Jessica called police prior to finding Amora. And when they finally found her, she was dead. He denied any involvement in Amora's death and kept that statement throughout the rest of his life. Wow. His sister stated that she got a call from him around 9.30 that morning saying that Amora was dead. What? Before it even happened? Or whatever? Uh, Before police got there, they got there. You know, the 911 call was at night. So that morning of her death, his sister got a call saying she was already dead before first responders even came. He's lying out his ass about something. Now, they both were taken into custody for more questioning, and Blaine's mother would say that Blaine lost touch with reality after Blaine's dad passed away. That this was his, you know, I guess way of dealing with things and his meth use and Jessica's postpartum it all just kind of came together as one hell of a tragedy. So Jessica tells this Texas ranger that Blaine loved Amora and would never hurt her. However, when the ranger tells her that he knows no one is telling the truth about what actually happened to her, he needs to know for the sake of that child that this is where, I guess, she begins to cry and finally starts saying, I can tell you, but you won't believe me. Hey, come sit down. You're Jess. My name's Kenny Ray. I'm with the Texas Rangers, okay? Will you talk to me for a few minutes? Okay. I'm going to record what we say so I don't forget anything, okay? How old are you? 18. 
All right, tell me, just just start off, tell me the story about what happened this morning. Okay, um... What, from the... We decided to go out to the property. <clears throat> so we walked down to the property, and we didn't plan on being there that long, but we just got and start talking details about everything, about the trailer and everything, and... Did Blaine resent you having the baby? Did that cause a problem in y'all's relationship? No, he loved that little baby. Why would he hurt her? Huh? Why would he hurt her? He wouldn't. Why would he lie to me then? Huh? Why would he lie to me? He told me you were an honor graduate in Longview High School. You're what? a very smart girl. Y'all were together this morning for about an hour or an hour and a half, and your stories do not match. One of you is lying to me, or both of you is lying. Right now is the time for you to tell me the truth about what... Let's, let's get it out. That's the only way that it, this, this is ever going to be right, is for us to get it out. So right now, just tell me what happened. I would never hurt that baby. Tell me what happened. I wouldn't either. Tell me what happened. He loves that little baby. But just tell me the truth about what happened. Let's get it so you can get it off your chest. Because it's just going to eat you up if you don't. It's just going to eat you up. No, I... Tell me what happened. I could tell you, but you wouldn't believe me. I will. I will believe you. No, you won't. I will believe you. I promise if you. If you do, none of the other cops won't. Because it's something that they would not believe. I will believe you. I promise you. I will believe you. But they won't. And they're going to think we're lying about it, and we're not. That's why we made up this story. All right. Tell me what really happened, because this is the time to get it right. Um, and speak up loud enough so I can hear it on the tape. Let's see, when was it? It was about... It was in September. Blaine's dad died in September, early September. Okay. And right after he died, we bought an Ouija board. And we didn't know they were bad and it was an omen or anything like that. Like, we were very strong believers of God and everything. And we bought an Ouija board and then, you know, we we, had heard, we heard that it worked, but we never actually did believe people when they said it worked. So we wanted to try it out for ourselves. And then, you know, I, I, my dad's dead too. He died when I was 10. I'm sorry. And, um... You know, so I asked my daddy that I thought, you know, a question that him, he would know that nobody else would know. And I had never told Blaine that. And so when he spelled it out and everything, I was like, you know, this is my daddy. And so we did that and, you know, like, this is like a telephone to heaven. And we thought it was really cool and everything. So we just, we kept talking to our dads, telling them how much we missed them. And, you know, and we talked to him for about eight hours straight that night. And we started getting really freaked. And we um, we got this little music box from one of his friends that's Chinese, and it has these Chinese people singing, you know, God will protect his demons, leave this house, because they said our apartment was possessed, because weird stuff started happening and everything. So we left, and we kept that music box there and blessed it, and then we blessed the Ouija board, and then we threw it away. And... Um, you know, kind of like the exorcist, you know, have you ever seen, you know, when demons come into people or whatever. And um, the devil had came into Blaine. And 
You know, it, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I mean, I would not be making this stuff up. I'm a Christian. I believe in yeah. demon possession. Yeah, and so, and I am too. And you know, I, I kind of knew. I mean, I knew about demon possession, but I, you know, you can't really believe something for sure until you see it with your own eyes. And so, when the devil started coming in me, talking to me, saying, you know. I'm going to take Blaine's soul tonight, you know, all this kind of stuff. It started really freaking me out. And, you know, now it's gotten into a more now. And then I said, okay, well, um, can't we, like, have an exorcism or something to get rid of it? But Blaine came back outside, and I said, what did you run in the house saying a more for? He said, God told me she got that hammer and was hitting herself in the head, and those marks on her head was, I think, from that hammer where she was hitting herself, or that demon was hitting herself on the head. I was like, you know, there's got to be something else we can do. I was like, we can get money. We can go to a minister and see if he can help or go to find a priest somewhere and see if, you know, we can make payments on him doing exorcism or something. See if we can do just anything. There's got to be another way. And he said, God said it was too late. And I was like, what do you mean God said it was too late? And then um, he was crying while he was saying this and everything. He was like, because if she doesn't go to heaven now, she will live her life um, with Satan having her, her soul, you know? Officers were currently working the scene as the two were still being questioned, and the investigators were constantly getting updates about what was going on inside that house and their findings. They were originally told that they decided to have this exorcism in the front room. So, of course, this is where police started to scrub the house for any evidence that they could find. Now, apparently, there was blood everywhere in that front room, sprayed up and down the walls, on the floor. It looked like that was the actual crime scene. Investigators thought that because there was blood everywhere, that it actually did look like the room where Amora died, but it gets worse. Officers continued to search the house, and there was a copious amount of blood in a back bedroom. There was blood on one of Amora's onesies, as well as a few other things in that area, including her toys. What officers found out later was that the first room where the couple stated Amora was being held for the exorcism was actually filled with fake blood. What? They were trying to, I guess, trick the investigators into thinking that this is the actual room where she died when in actuality, it was that back bedroom where she was being tortured for hours. Holy. Why do you think fake blood is going to pass as real blood? And, and, and secondly, they're going to search your house. Like you are trying yet yeah. again to avoid the reality that hard to the fact that you staged a fake crime scene. And remember, Blaine is 18 with a, you know, a fourth grade education, a 12-year-old mental capacity. And Jessica is already delusional, having intrusive thoughts, you know, seeing hallucinations. And I think they just thought, hey, if we stage this crime scene, no one's going to really find out about what happened in this home. They, I'm pretty sure, I mean, at 18, having, you know, such a low IQ and going through postpartum, you're not thinking about DNA evidence. You're not thinking about what's going to happen next. You're thinking of the now. What's happening now? We were initially told that the, the crime had occurred in a 
lack of a better term, a front bedroom just off the living room there in the house. And uh, they had even gone so far as to use some fake blood, if you will. And, you know, we're approaching Halloween time now. We're familiar with fake blood and, and all that, but they had... So there was a staged crime there, there scene? There was a fake? staged crime scene. And we, uh, for lack of a better term, fell for it. And that's where we concentrated our investigation and our efforts. As we went further into the investigation and brought these other people in, other investigators from these other agencies, they discovered the actual crime scene, which was in a back bedroom in another part of the house. They discovered uh, blood traces in there. They discovered some other physical evidence in there, uh, some clothing, several different things. In court documents, it was stated that a family member called police anonymously and said to look under the house because they thought this would be their dumping site. Now remember, they lived in a trailer home, so you're able to go underneath the house. It's not ground set. Well, this is when a search warrant was issued, and sure enough, the stuff that was located underneath matched the evidence that was found in the back room. This is when Blaine and Jessica were finally arrested for the death of Amora. What'd they find underneath the house? This is where it's going to be hard to hear. Oh, dude. During the trial, the district attorney started this case off with an apology. He wanted to apologize to the jurors for everything they were about to witness and go through within this trial. He apologized for the brutality of it and warned them and said that the police that worked this case still have night terrors from it. Amora's injuries were so monstrous that the forensic pathologist who also testified in the case said that several of the wounds could have been the fatal blow and that these injuries were the worst ones he's ever seen on such a small child or even an adult. Wow. The pathologist also stated that it was, in fact, a hammer that was used to crush her skull. Oh my goodness. Amora had extensive bleeds under her scalp, multiple fractures on her back and head, a brain laceration, 18 rib fractures, over 30 bite marks, a lacerated liver, a broken arm, broken leg, and had a strained blood vessel in her neck, which indicated she could have also been strangled. Wow. She only weighed 25 pounds. Wow. The bite marks on her, all over her body, in fact, did match Blaine, all except for one, which matched Jessica. What? Yeah, dude. Okay, what happened? This next part is going to be even harder to hear. The autopsy showed that Amora had been sexually assaulted. Her genitalia and rectum was so badly bruised and ripped, and this was not from penetration by a male. It was from object insertion. Dude, I don't... The pathologist also stated that most, if not all, of these injuries happened while she was still alive and she had to have felt every excruciating moment. All of this occurs in the early morning hours of December 2nd. How long this exorcism, or what I would refer to as a torture of a mora, went on before that, we don't know. Uh, but 
there are injuries to Amora's genitalia at some point in the early morning hours of December 2nd. Now, Dr. Pinkard, you know, unlike CSI, he can't fix the time of those injuries, but it was his testimony that hours after that, and these are the injuries, um, it's my recollection, these were actually injuries to the, to the child's um, genitalia, seems wrong to say about a, about a baby. Um, but it, it, those injuries to the vaginal vault, I described to you that phrase that in my opinion should never be used about a human being, that those occur, there's some indication that there was healing. The body was able to formulate a response, and you'd have to talk to a scientist about how, how the body does it, but there are, there are ways that they're able to determine from microscopic review of the tissue around the uh, marks that her body, her, she, Maura was fighting to the end. She supposedly was sitting in the living room watching TV while he's right inside the door there doing whatever to this child. And, uh, in this other room with a staged crime scene. The staged crime scene room, yes. yes. And, you know, apparently he's telling her that, well, Amora, who's 13 months old, is striking herself with a hammer and doing all this stuff to herself. And so that, that obviously didn't fly very far. Because the child suffered oh, uh, multiple fractures. Multiple is being very generous with the with the estimation of how many fractures the child suffered and a lot of them are what's called spiral fractures which uh, is the twisting of the bone where the the break instead of going laterally or whatever will go around the bone in a spiral shape and then just you know and 18 ribs broken at, at least that many and skull fractures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, like I say, everybody that's looked at it just say it's, it's horrible. Now, Blaine's defense attorney stated that it was all Jessica's doing. Most of the bite marks were him. Exactly. He stated that she was the one that killed the baby because she was depressed and delusional. And in fact, his attorney told jurors that Blaine might have had a low IQ and was much like a child, but he could never kill a child like himself. Now, side note, there was a documentary. It's called On Death Row. Blaine would talk about, I guess, cartoons a lot. And while the jury was going on to decide whether or not he should be put on death row, he was actually watching Scooby-Doo while he's waiting a decision. He doesn't give a fuck. In the middle of an episode, there was a knock on the door and he refused to leave the room until he finished his show. Wow. Literally, someone came knocking in saying the verdict was in and he said, can I finish the show first? Wow. I absolutely fucking hate him. Now, Jessica's attorney did not want her to testify in her own defense, and she evoked her fifth for the most part. Her attorney asked her in the courtroom if she was going to invoke her fifth amendment, and she said yes. And also when she was asked to testify, she also invoked her fifth as well. Now, Jessica was given a life sentence without the possibility of parole, and all she did was nod her head to the judge reading the sentence. 
So no emotion? No emotion, just nodding, agreeing with the decision. Okay. During the trial, it was stated that there was no drugs involved in the death of Amora, nor were there drugs found in the house. They did it completely on their own. Now, during Blaine's trial, this is when the evidence underneath the house came to light. They stated that they found the bloody clothes of Amora, the hammer, a few of her, like, plush toys underneath the house, and they were all bagged up and trying to be buried underneath. The amount of blood that was on the hammer was so bad that, you know, a day later when the investigators pulled it out of the bag, it was still dripping blood. Wow. Now, Amora's grandfather, which was her real father's dad, his name is Richard, made the following statement, and this is heart-wrenching. It's also directed to Jessica. He says, Jesse. This has been one of the worst days of my life. I thought long on end what I was going to tell you. Heather has suffered. I've suffered. Arlene has called me constantly. Now, these people, side note, are part of the real father's family. Then he goes on to say, I want you to know that I don't hate you. I hate the act that you all committed. It's affected the lives of not only me and my family, but many jury members. No matter how much punishment you receive, you will never suffer the way that my granddaughter did. We did care, and I still care. Amora's in my home in picture frames. That is all I have left of her, besides her daddy who serves this country. You're getting off easily compared to what she got. I don't even have words. Well, I, I, I brought the um, closing argument or part of the closing argument that I used in the Carson trial uh, because there's a moment in time that to me really captured uh, what was occurring that moment of, of December 2nd, 2008. And I, this, I've got four photos graphs up here all together. And they're all one moment in time around 9 a.m. that morning, shortly after 9 a.m. At the crime scene out in the carport, Laying in the dirt out there in the filth is the car seat, which I submit goes to show intent. Amora was never going to ride, ride in that car seat anymore. It was taken out of the car and thrown in the dirt. Now, Blaine, roughly two years after the murder of Amora, he's now 20 years old. He was sentenced to be put to death by lethal injection, making him the youngest person to be ever on death row in the state of Texas at the time of his sentencing. His date was originally set for January 15th, 2019. What happened? When he was sentenced, he leaned over to his attorney and stated, Why do these people not like me? Why do they want to kill me? He, I don't know if I believe his act of being a, an idiot. Because th you knew enough to lie about a crime. If you were that innocent if you didn't understand why did you lie about committing a murder exactly and not to mention too you were already supposed to be in jail you were supposed to be in jail you decided to leave your 180 day sentencing you left town which admits guilt which admit, or admitted that you knew that this was wrong that you knew right from wrong at the time and had he have still been in jail, he would have never met Jessica. He would have never met her. And the fact that he was in jail for 
the the thirteen year old child who he snuck into her bedroom and wrote these dirty notes to her on nudes like you already knew that this was fucked up. Mm-hmm. You knew that you were in trouble for child soliciting. You knew the difference. And yet you still went out, found a girlfriend who had a 13 month old baby, did these acts on this 13 month old. And now you want to play dumb. That's what I don't understand. That's why I don't believe it. That's why I believe that I, he's smarter than whatever the fuck we're saying because you don't lie about something if you don't actually know it's wrong. Exactly. May 2012, he appealed the courts attempting to get off of death row. They attempted to say that there were more than 20 errors made during his original trial including the anonymous phone call from a family member stating that that was incriminating evidence that was left by somebody who stated that they just knew randomly where the things were. They tried to push it off like somebody was framing him. Your teeth marks are on it. Like, I I I don't know what to say. I know. And we'll also touch base on that, too. However, the courts of appeals did not agree and still kept him on death row. So he was still set for January 15th, 2019. I'm going to skip ahead from May 2012 to January 14th, 2019. Now on this day, a Texas judge issued a stay of execution one day before his original execution date. What's a stay of execution? What that means is that they put the execution on hold for an appeal court. Now, the reason for this was because his attorney stated that there was new research in bite science, which is what it's called when bite marks are used as evidence, incriminating evidence, as well as changes in the intellectual disability law. So what that means is that pretty much they stated that the bite marks on there couldn't be used as incriminating evidence anymore, that it's not, it's junk science pretty much, that it's not real and you can't incriminate a person just based off of molds of a mouth. What? That's bullshit. Now, Due to this, Blaine was granted an appeal to say that he still had a disability and should not be put to death, even though he had like M markings from his teeth marks just because his teeth were crooked. And it's just incredible to me that he thinks, oh, well, those could be anybody's teeth. Like, no, your teeth left. It's not like you had straight teeth. Your teeth left such a perfect impression it matched your dental records and you have a specific m shape to your mouth for your teeth it's unique it is it's not like an average straight you know teeth pattern it's it's a unique pattern how do you not like it just yeah mind-blowing Now, again, it was denied and he was set for another lethal injection date on Thursday, January 21st, 2021. Hold on. A couple days ago? So uh, like last Thursday, and if you're listening to this on a Monday, two Thursdays ago, January 21st, 2021. What the fuck happened? Now, I did some research. As one does. As one does for a true crime podcast. 
And again, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals on Friday, January 15th of this year, granted him another stay of execution to review the new intellectual disability claims. Dude, whatever. I, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, that's just the law. They have to do these things. I don't know. And like, I understand because if you do have a mental disability, we do have to review those things. But to be saved so many different times. And when I say saved, I it's just appalling. You know, like, why do you get to live when you knew damn well what you did was wrong? Yeah, that's the thing that catches me. If you know right from wrong, I don't think a mental defect counts because what counts is knowing right from wrong. Exactly. Despite how old you are, despite how smart you are, if you have enough of a moral compass to say, oh, I'm going to hide something. Oh, you know what? I don't want people to find out about this, so I'm going to hide it. That implies you know right from wrong. Exactly. And, you know, uh, there's so many different people who have their own opinions on death sentencing and all of that, which I completely respect. Mm -hmm. But when it's multiple, I guess, dates that have been given to this one person and multiple chances to prove your innocence, even though time and time again, you have been proved to just stay in your current state. Of, of, you know, death by lethal injection, what is one more appeal going to do? Yeah. And like, I know a lot of people have the difference of opinions of, you know, the death penalty. But dude, this happened to like a, a, a little child and like the, the wounds and like the, not that there, there's no excuse for a death. There's no excuse for a death of a child. However, there, this case has, it's senseless. It is absolutely mm-hmm incredibly shouldn't have fucking happened. Especially when you were supposed to be in jail at the time. Well, not at the time, but at the time of meeting your victims. Yep, absolutely. Wow. Blaine is now 31 years old. And when he's asked about what happened that day and what happened to Amora, he states, and this is a direct quote, and please bear with me. There's a lot of pauses and a lot of, a lot of shit. He stated, why did it happen? Why did it happen? Why? It's all, I mean, I know we shouldn't ask, but why, you know, we want questions. Why did it happen? Why did it happen like this? Why couldn't it been me, you know? Why couldn't it be, you know, I don't understand it. I wish I could go back and stop it, but I I can't. I don't know how it got so far. I don't understand how it got so far, but it did. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I also don't know what to do because I don't understand what he's saying. And I just from hearing that, it sounds like the scrambled brain of a really just messed up person. Like, I I don't know a better way to say that to your brain is kind of scrambled, I feel like. And honestly, in my in my personal opinion, and this is not fact, not, you know, it's not stated anywhere in documents or anything like that. But the way that he's describing or answering this question really leads me to believe that he's malingering and taking all of these pauses and repeating himself because he is thinking of ways of showing his intellectual disability of saying I can't even function and I can't even state these full sentences why would you keep me on death row when I can't even answer a simple question about what happened that night and despite whatever mental capacity he had 
I feel like a sense of like manipulation in it. Absolutely. And that's kind of why I feel like when he was all like, why do they hate me? Like, I feel like there's some kind of manipulation happening. Yes, exactly. Now, as we know from previous cases, like the Cassie Joe's daughter and, you know, parents thinking that their children are innocent. Of course, his mom, Blaine's mom, thinks that it was actually Jessica who corrupted his mind, played the the dead father card, used him to father her child and just pretty much stated that it was all Jessica's fault and abused this poor boy that has a fourth grade education and a 12-year-old mental capacity. I truly think that both Jessica and Blaine were just so far gone that I think they truly thought she was possessed in some form or at least some, I guess, I guess mental blockage that they couldn't separate reality from their delusions. And I think it did go too far. But at the end of the day, they knew that this was wrong. Otherwise, they wouldn't be pawning off their things to get money for an exorcism and trying to, I guess, corroborate these two different stories. They knew it was wrong. And setting up a fake crime scene is absolutely exactly. knowing that it's wrong. Exactly. It's, it's diverting from from the reality. And I think it's it's the delusion. They had such hardcore delusions that if they did personally believe that Amora was possessed or something, that's why is because they're so far delusional however if they are so delusional why did they think it was wrong and hide it i don't understand i don't i don't understand this case in particular because it's so contradicting yeah yeah there's there's so many holes in their story that it just doesn't add up but at the end of the day there is a facebook page about amora um definitely check it out. It's just under her name, Amora Bain Carson. And it has all of these wonderful people bringing her name to light, you know, telling stories about what a wonderful baby she was and just having random people say their thoughts and prayers. And I checked it out and it was just amazing just seeing all these photos of this little baby girl who was so beautiful. And we can add that to the description. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Take the link and then whoever wants to see it can go see it. But that was my case. That was oh, it. It was it. I feel no closure. I don't either. Especially, I mean, if if something happens with with Blaine, we'll definitely post a little update. Yeah. Just sharing, you know, if his stay of education, uh, I almost said education again, guys, this is the second time and you didn't hear it before because I caught it the first time. But <laughs> yes, if there's any updates, we will definitely update you on this case. But I mean, yeah, that poor little 13 month old baby. This case is really like cold to me. Like, I mean, all of them are, but I just feel like empty like why i don't have closure and i I don't like that i'm sorry i don't like that this happened to a child particularly but i just also like need answers because that's just not good enough yeah i agree i agree but it was definitely a case that I i wanted to share and it's something that i mean child abuse is never okay child molestation's never okay and this case was just so up and down, ice cold to burning hot that mm. I just, I truly think that they don't remember 
most of what actually happened because they they were too far gone. Long pause of just sorrow. Sadness. Sorrowness. God. All right. Well, this was a really sad one. And I hate to let you guys go. I don't know if there's anything that we can say to up the the level. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Either. I'm holding my dog right now. Um, That's it. Take my some dog's comfort at home. in that. <laughs> Your dog is at home. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week.